0: Persians invented crucifixion. That's what most historians would say it came from the Persian empire. But the Romans perfected it. Alexander the Great, is what they assume when attacking Persia and invading Persia, discovered or found out about crucifixion and Alexander the Great brought it back to the Roman Empire probably about 300 years prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Once it was imported to Rome, the reason it was perfected was because the Romans had millions of slaves in order for this great machinery, this empire that they were building, in order for it to keep being built, it required slave labor. And they didn't want the slaves to revolt because they knew there were too many of them and they couldn't control them all, so they tried to control them through crucifixion. Trying to create the most painful and visibly disturbing and humiliating punishment as a way to terrorize the other slaves. To say, if you don't keep in line with the Roman way, if you don't keep in, in line with the Roman word, then this is what happens to you. For example, just outside one of the busy city gates in ancient Rome was a location known as the Esquiline Hill, the Esquiline Hill, big, busy city gate, and as you exited the city, the bustling bustling metropolis of Rome, there was a hill. It's called the Esquiline Hill, and a road kind of went around that hill, and that road was frequently littered with slaves suffering and suffocating on crosses, just hanging there like pieces of meat in a butcher shop. Some men, mostly men, but some women, hanging there. Some tied to wooden crosses. Some nailed in place through their hands and feet. Others nailed through their genitals. Some had their arms stretched out like on a cross. Some had both of them directly overhead, which facilitated the suffering he died more quickly that way. Some were crucified upside down, upside down. Prior to the crucifixion, many of them were scourged. Some had their tongues cut out for what they said, and others had their legs broken. The Esquiline Hill became a dumping ground for slaves who couldn't, didn't have somebody or have the means to give them a formal burial. So it was just a big pit near the hill that they would throw these bodies. And then would come what's what was called the birds of the Esquiline. Vultures, flesh-eating birds, would swoop down on the hill. And everyone coming from the city would see the birds of the Esquiline picking the flesh off the bodies thrown in the ditch along the road. The whole thing is like a cruel showcase for Roman discipline. Refuse to follow the way. Refuse to follow the word. This is what happens. You better stay in line. The practice was so barbaric that the Roman Empire itself eventually outlawed the practice. But for several years before and after the first century, it was a practice. With this in mind, let's Take a little test, a little fill-in-the-blank scripture test. You ready? Luke chapter 9, 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. Now, with that history in your mind, imagine now hearing that as a disciple. Let it sink all the way down how you might feel about that statement. If you're like me, you might just sort of flippantly say, oh, I've got to do something hard, taking up my cross. I I severely doubt anybody in the first century thought that way. Jesus spent his entire life inside this Roman system no doubt Jesus and all of his followers had passed people hanging on crosses they'd been in and out of big cities so that Jesus' crucifixion wasn't the first it had been happening hundreds of years everybody's familiar with the practice Then one day, about halfway through through Jesus' ministry, he looks at all those people who are following him and they've been seeing him do miracles and they're thinking, hey, this is the guy who's going to rescue us from all this. We're going to finally get outside of this system. And he leans in and says, if anyone would come after me, and you can just imagine everybody leaning forward, that's what we're doing. Tell us how we should do it. Take up your cross. Mm. That wasn't the story I had in my head. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus launched his ministry, he immediately started looking for followers, people who would listen to his words, follow his ways. In a culture dominated with power and words and ways, Jesus comes in and says, I've got a word, I've got a way. And if you want to follow after me, you just need to listen and then just follow me. Jesus knows it's not going to be easy. It's going to be what I titled the sermon, sermon, a journey of surrender. And my question for me this week has been, and for you this morning, Will you accept this invitation? Are you interested in getting on the journey of surrender? Will you really trust Jesus' words? Will you follow his way? Even if it means taking up a cross. See, it's not, it's not a question you'd answer too quickly. It's, it's meant to shock the system. It, Jesus didn't expect all the disciples to say, well, sign me up. No, he knew what was going to happen. People were going to say, no, hey, that's just too far. Also, it's not a question you ask, you ask and answer just once in a lifetime. It's a question that gets asked to you over and over. It might be a question that gets asked of you every single day. Hey, here's my word today. Here's my way. Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to surrender in order to follow me? So let's look at Luke chapter 5 and look at Jesus extending his invitation to Peter. Jesus was teaching beside the Sea of Galilee, so he's in or around Capernaum. So if you think of the Sea of Galilee, it's about 12 miles uh, long and about 7 miles wide. And at 11 o'clock is this little fishing village called Capernaum. It was Jesus' hometown as an adult and the hometown of many of his early disciples. He's there, and he's starting to preach. And what's happening is the more he teaches, the more people come to hear him teach. This is pretty much a preacher's dream. The longer I go, go the more people I get. Now, I haven't experienced that yet, but I'm not Jesus but this is what's happening. I, I'm sort of talking to a small group, but the small group begins to grow, and they begin to press in on Jesus. Everybody wants to be in the, everybody wants to be in the front row. Hmm. No disparaging remarks about my back row Baptist friends here. And he has a logistics problem, so he uninvited hops himself into Peter's boat and he just makes this simple request Peter will you help me solve my logistics problem will you get in the boat row out keep it steady while i teach and finish my sermon see peter doesn't realize it's just a little test it's just a, it's a tiny little invitation peter i have a challenge Will you make my challenge your challenge? Will you drop what you're doing right now in order to respond to what I'm doing right now? What a test. Could Jesus have roved himself out? Of course he could. Capable of doing that. But see, Jesus isn't just teaching at this moment, Jesus is testing. Jesus isn't just trying to inform people of something. He's also to, he's trying to form a team. You know, Jesus is always doing a thousand things at one time. It's never just one thing. And here he is. He's trying to form a team, and he's trying to get people who will listen to his word and follow his way. And here's just a little test. Here's my word. Can you help me on my project? Can you stop what you're doing in order to help me on what I'm doing? Jesus needs people who aren't going to just launch a boat, but launch a movement. The church. This little assignment's not a glamorous assignment. You row out, you sit behind Jesus, he talks. And that's it. That'd be what I do every Sunday. I just try to row out and get Jesus to be up front. I think that's what the song was so I loved about the song Christ be magnified in me in other words whatever I'm doing what I want is I want Jesus out front I want that to be the first person they encounter G- Peter passes this little test now well, he could have said look Jesus I'm tired I mean I've had a long night Look, I'm busy. I'm cleaning my nets. I mean, there's lots of reasons Peter, and you would say, legitimately has excuses not to help out, but he he surrenders. He makes a little surrender. It's a critical one. Peter accepts this first invitation. But then Jesus isn't done, gives Peter a second test. You might say a second invitation. It's a little bit more difficult. You know what it is, the master theologian Jesus is now entering into the professional fishing business. Jesus is getting out of his lane. Hey, Peter, I know you don't catch fish in the daytime. I know you've been out all night, but hey, would you put out in the deep water and let your nets down for a catch? Your clean nets, can you put them down one more time? See, it's not a complex request. But it's a challenging one. And what's so challenging about this little test? Jesus' request runs counter to Peter's story. Jesus makes a request that's counterintuitive to Peter. It's not at all what Peter would decide. It's not the direction he would go. It's not what his wisdom would say and this is critical, it's so difficult to be obedient when Jesus's story is counter to your story. I mean, it's so easy when he asks you to do things that you want to do or you feel like are right. But what happens when you say, no, that's that. Hey, you know what, God, that's not going to work out well. That's the moment of the test. It's not when it's going to go well and you know it. It's the moment when you say, that's not what I would choose. My professionalism informs me that this isn't a good decision. You see, Peter, I don't know the tone here. You would like to know it. Verse 5, we toiled all night and took nothing. How would you read that? I would read it this way. We toiled all night. We took in nothing. We, the professionals. We, the tired. You, the unprofessional. I mean, this is how I'm hearing it. Now, I don't know. But there's some kind of tone, there's some kind of energy behind what Peter is saying. And do you see the test? Does Peter obey Peter Or does Peter obey Jesus? Would Peter accept an invitation into Jesus' story? Or does Peter want to live his own story and only invite Jesus into his? See, a lot of people live this way I've invited Jesus into my story. Anybody can do that. If there's a Jesus up there, I'm inviting him into my story to open up every door. But that's not the invitation. You, under, you do understand. The invitation is, I'm going to move completely into Jesus' story, whatever cost that may be to my own. What about you? Will you accept an invitation into Jesus' story? Or mostly, you're just inviting Jesus into your story. Are you willing to be led to places you don't want to go? To do things that don't match up with what you think should happen? Here's the thing, you can only tell when Jesus asks you to do something counter to your story verse 5 the key key word in this whole text the word but it's like a hinge that opens a great door but but and i love how the niv has it but because you say so i will this is a critical little prayer that every follower must have. It's like the utility knife. It's the one thing you're going to pull pull out over and over and over again. But because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Now, in the ancient church and even today, there's a little practice called a breath prayer. Some of you know this. And a breath prayer is something that you use in sort of emergency need or reminder. And it's a breath prayer because you can say it in one breath. And so I want you to make this your breath prayer. You breathe in. Because you say so, I will. So you're going to need that little prayer every single day. You're going to need to stop and just go, Because you say so, I will. Let's practice together. Ready? Because you say so, I will. This little hinge opens a, a whole new door for Peter. He doesn't realize it at this point. But what if Peter had just said, I, I just don't want to put the nets down. I'm rowing back in. And we don't know. Maybe it's the last time you hear from Peter. We all know what happens next. Peter rows out to the deep water, lowers down his nets. He has a record catch, signals to his partners. They come and help. All boats sinking now. Everyone's astonished. Peter's standing there. He's hit the fishing lottery. He's on his way to his largest paycheck. And you can imagine every fish that's climbing inside the boat dollar signs. I mean, maybe this doesn't happen to you, but you stand in line at a checkout counter, and you see the little lottery tickets. They've got them right there at eye level. And you just think, hmm, what if I won $20,000? What if I won $2 million? Does this happen to you? Maybe it's just me. What would I do? Oh, man, and I'm spending the money. I don't even have it. I'm not even going to buy the ticket. But I'm already spending the money like this is how I'd live. And you can imagine Peter going, I'm already spending the money. It's here. I mean, this is going to be quadruple anything I've ever done. I'm, I'm going to make this happen in my house and with my wife and with my life. And at that moment, Jesus says, hey, Peter, can you leave everything and follow me? See, it's the third, it's the third test. It's quite a bit more difficult now, is it not? I mean, just getting in the boat and rowing out seems like a pretty simple request. Lowering your nets down, counterintuitive to your story, that's a little bit more of a test. But when you have the record haul, and you're already in your story spending it, and this is how your life's going to turn out, it's just going to be as you had planned. And Jesus says, can you walk away from all of this and get into my story? Verse 11, they brought their boats to the land and left everything. In the Greek, if you look that up, you know what it means? Everything. The end, Peter goes on, always obeying God's word, always obeying God's way. I mean, don't you wish it was that simple? That that some moment when you made your commitment to Christ, you walked on an aisle, you said a prayer, you were at a camp, and you said it, and you're like, God, I'm all yours, and whatever way you're going, I'm going to go that way, I'm going to trust your word. And you had that energy every single day, but you know what happens, do you not? Your story comes back in. Other words come back in. Other ways look more profitable, desirable than Jesus's, and we could list it. A hundred for Peter, but let's just mention two. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, we're three-quarters of the way through Jesus' ministry. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things to be killed, to be raised on the third day. And when Peter heard this story, he took Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus, says, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this isn't our story. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus looks at all of his disciples and says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What's happening here with Peter? Jesus' invitation to suffering is not an invitation Peter wants. Peter thinks that, okay, I've given a lot of stuff up, but in the end, I'm going to get power. I'm not going to a cross. That's for the powerless. I've seen that many times. That's not the direction I'm going. Jesus, that's not the direction you're going. Let's get on Peter's path here. Peter's emotions, I don't know if this is familiar to you, are now masquerading as facts. Has ever happened to you? Ever get in a conversation where your emotions suddenly turn into facts? I feel this way about it, so I feel obligated to tell you how I feel, and it's fact now, buddy. it's not fiction, it's not my feelings. these are facts. And here's what Peter is doing. He's, he's saying, I have a personal self-interest in this, and I'm going to turn it into a fact. I have, a, I have an emotional reaction to not wanting to suffering. I'm upset, so I'm going to turn my emotion into facts. So often that, that beginning of that statement is something like this. Let me tell you what I know. And when somebody says that, I'm like, okay, we're going to get emotions as facts right now. Peter, see, at the end of this, he's still on a journey of surrender. In no uncertain terms, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're living in the wrong story. There is a voice in your head that's telling you a story, and I'm going to identify it for you. It's Satan. You're 180 degrees in the wrong direction, and you think you're right. You are so sure that after two years of ministry and watching me do things, you would take me aside and rebuke me. This is a person who's got a lot more surrendering to do. John 21, such a painful invitation. You can read about it later. Perhaps the primary thing Peter needed to let go of was his pride. His pride is so big, he can't get on the journey. And at the Last Supper, you remember, Peter bragged about how he was going to be the one. I mean, even if everybody else fell away, hey, you can trust me, chest-pounding moment. And Peter severely overestimated himself, and he denied no, even knowing Jesus three times. So we have a big, big deflation and Peter's pride. But you know there's two sides of pride. There's this, this obvious side and then what I'm c- going to call the ugly side of pride. The, the, the obvious side is I'm overconfident. I overestimate myself. I can't be wrong. I know. That's sort of the most obvious side of pride. The ugly side of pride is I can't be rescued. Too far gone, messed up too much, even even no one can save me, even Jesus. You know what that is? That's pride. And so Peter has both. He has the obvious side of pride that got burst at the denials, and now he's in the ugly side of pride. He just, he can't be rescued. And Jesus is pulling him out of this pit by asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? Okay, let's refocus our attention, Peter. This is all part of the journey of surrendering. John 21, Jesus' last words to Peter. Peter, when you're old, you will be asked to stretch out your hands and be led to a place you don't want to go. But follow me. Peter I'm telling you right now the journey is going to continue after I leave and you're going to be asked to go to a place you don't want to go but I want you to follow me 30 years after Jesus' statement Peter was an old man living in Rome but there was a problem for Peter Peter wasn't following the Roman word he wasn't following the Roman way He was following Jesus' word. He was following Jesus' way. And because he was following Jesus' way and not the Roman way, we know what happens to people who follow a different way. They get crucified. So as an old man, Peter is now living in Rome. He's taken outside a city gate. And he's crucified upside down. It's a very famous picture, this is, by uh, an artist named Caravaggio. I think that's how you say his name. It's in a chapel in Rome. And one of the interesting things about the picture is how Caravaggio has Peter gazing or, or focusing on something outside of the picture frame. It's not a particularly gruesome picture other than you just know the pain, but it's something about Peter. He's looking at something you and I can't see in the picture. And the way Caravaggio has the painting hung is Peter is looking down to an altar with Jesus on a cross. As if you would look at Peter and say, well, what is he looking at? Oh, he's looking at Jesus on the cross. Now, we can't be sure. And this is art, so everybody has their way of thinking about it. But most people think it's a way of Peter at the end saying, I'm going to follow, I'm going to go all the way. You know, I wasn't willing to give up everything before. But I'm going to stay on this path, this journey to surrender until the very end. So I come back to the invitation the invitation for me, the invitation for you. It's made by Jesus. Just happened to be saying it today. Are you willing to get on the journey? You need to think about it. It's not a one-time commitment. It's a lifetime commitment. If you are, I trust that Jesus can bring something to your mind that would be, can you get on the boat and just row me out? Some little thing that you just know, oh, I know this probably drives Jesus crazy, but I just can't say no to it it's not really crucifixion it's just I just need to say no to that for some of you it might be a bigger thing pride you just can't be wrong or you can't be rescued Let's take a few moments we're listening to some music we'll sit with Jesus just for a moment and ask try to answer that question Lord, everybody came here and they're leaving with an invitation. It's got a RSVP on it. Pray every soul wrestles with this invitation and what it means for them. Pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing our closing song.